0: Be inspired to love life, to achieve extraordinary feats, and to change the world around you for the better. Welcome to Love Your Life, Tell Your Story by Kathleen Marriott. Glenn Albrecht
1: is back with his fourth story. We find him at Wallaby Farm at Duns Creek. He calls himself a pharmosopher of the symbiocene. He also explains his view of himself. As a conceptual artist and what that means. Welcome back Glenn. It's lovely to see you on Love Your Life Tell Your Story again and this is story 4. So it's such a privilege to have you here and we're back in New South Wales for you after you had your five years in Western Australia. So I'm so happy to have you back and we are looking forward to hearing your fourth story this week.
2: It's lovely to be back back in New South Wales. Yeah, I mean, my wife and I have produced two little Novocastrians and uh, so we've we after quite a few decades here now we're beginning to feel as if we belong to this place. But the last 10 years have been at Wallaby Farm at Duns Creek as we we mentioned in our last talk.
1: Well, you mentioned that you just turned 70 as well.
2: Yeah, so I'm um, I'm now a you know a senior pharmosopher. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm finding the work uh, actually of maintaining five acres of Australia quite taxing on my body, which is good. It, it keeps me strong and it keeps me fit. But I can see that there's uh, there's a, f- a horizon that's becoming clearer that uh, I won't be able to do this for forever. And so Jill and I have been thinking about the next stage in our lives. But at the moment, I'm just going flat out. Well, we've We've got a busy family. We've got a busy property my work is going gangbusters so there's just endless amounts of uh, of interest in what I've produced and the number of artists and academics and writers and people who are interested in taking what I've created just that bit further and and hopefully well into the future because the symbiote scene as an idea is is endless we can hopefully enter it and never get out of it, because we won't want to. It'll be a source of endless inspiration. So and your this,
1: research now continues endlessly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I've never really needed money to do my research. I've just needed time. You know, so, so like Writers, generally, what they need is a, a place and a time, and time to themselves where they can actually just be creative. I consider myself, I, I hope it doesn't sound too pretentious, I'm a conceptual artist. Uh-huh. So I create things... Like new new words, new ideas, new concepts, but it's an act of creation. It's not something like standard academic work. It's it requires of me the the time to just sit quietly think. I can do that at my desk. I can do it while I'm weeding in my vegetable patch. I can do it while bird watching or wallaby watching. Uh, it it just requires of me a uh, a space where I can start to think creatively and I think that's the most important aspect. So of...
1: can you tell us where does that come from within?
2: Well, I guess it does, but it's also part of my my sum biography, which is the sum total of, of me that you know how did I get from little boy uh, in love with birds to the kind of senior academic, public, you know, public intellectual, whatever you want to call me, that I am now? But this idea of uh, having creative moments—I think it happens naturally to children, where we we invent things, we we fantasize, we create whatever it is that's missing in our lives, or we just become uh, incredibly fascinated by the minutiae of life. You know, as a kid, I could just sit and watch wild mice or lizards for hours on end and not be bored. And I think that I've just carried that uh, capacity with me all the way through my my life and so that's continuous but
1: so is is that the part of the loving of your life the not being bored the absence of boredom and also the love of the minute Mm,
2: well i think the if you're bored with the macro world, the micro world has got endless possibilities. You could never be bored. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, somebody said in the te- teaspoon of dirt there's you know a trillion microorganisms, and mm. of course we can't normally see them. But if I wanted to, I've got a magnifying glass, I've got a microscope, and you know you can you can uh, be fascinated by life at every. In every scale
1: and that curiosity has just kept you loving life and keeping going in that curiosity
2: yeah I can honestly say I've never been bored for a moment in my life because I'm the sort of person that if there is a even a flicker of boredom there's a flicker of a bird Mm. just just next door to me and I shift my attention to something which is the absence of everything to my focus is on something which is in itself, endlessly interesting, intrinsically beautiful, intrinsically valuable, and so that's that's just part of my psyche. I can't understand how people couldn't focus on this amazing thing we call life. I mean, a lot of people just spend their whole lives looking at other humans. Well, that's a bit like birdwatching, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you just <laughs> you just find the life form of the 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 human to be the limit of your interests. Well. I'm um, like others. So I, I like my fellow human beings. I like interacting with them. I like looking at them, but the the for me it's uh, uh, living a relatively isolated life at Wallaby Farm at Duns Creek means that I'm more inclined to be looking at non-humans and talking to non-humans than i am for humans jill notwithstanding and we (laughs) we we have some very good conversations Uh, she's an extraordinarily interesting (laughs) person so but if i'm outside and i'm by myself i'm i'm not alone and i'm not bored i'm surrounded by life i'm with fellow life forms i mean some writers and thinkers would call that your fellow kin using the word kin to mean uh they're like family. Well, the wallabies are like family, but, and there are some that, like the big lace monitor that ate one of my chickens a couple of weeks ago. Normally, uh, a healthy respect is given to the the big top predator in our part of the world, but I have to say he wasn't kin when I caught him eating the remains of the, one of my favourite chickens. <laughs> he stopped
1: being part of the family. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh,
2: I, I uttered a few unkin-like words to give give expression to my uh, dismay but that's the way life is out there yes. you
1: know? So <laughs> it's thought, life on the farm <laughs> yeah
2: exactly so uh, i uh,
1: so this little boy that we've heard about all along he hasn't stopped being part of you and he's part of your essence
2: i guess i've um, and sometimes i struggle to think about what it means to have this uh, c- continuity in life you know sometimes i think I, I existed as a little boy and I have n- virtually no connection to that as an adult. But, of course, when I write about the influences on my life or someone like you starts asking me questions about my, my childhood, I realise that the, you know human identity is this continuity of memory in time and mm-hmm. space, a continuity of body. My body is a lot different now than it was when I was seven, mm. but I now... Uh, I, I guess at this ripe age I'm, I'm capable of assembling that story in my own mind there's probably a lot of selection goes on you know I I, I remember the bits that I want I've excluded the bits that I I didn't want to uh, well even if I do remember them I I put them to one side you know it's just straight psychological armoring I don't want certain things to come back into my life that I experienced in the past
1: and that's part of the resilience.
2: Yes, and so the resilience story could could be good in the sense that it, it makes you able to bounce back to a state that enables you to enjoy life well, and Well, I like function. to call it
1: bouncing forward.
2: Yeah. Sometimes I'm critical of resilience. I call it perverse re- resilience because it means you're wanting to go back to a configuration that actually wasn't healthy in the first place. So you might call the coal industry in the Hunter Valley, resilient.
1: When we're talking about you.
2: When talking about me, I'm not like the coal industry. No. But, yeah, as an academic, I'm very careful with the
0: use of the word resilient. Have you got a story to tell? We'd love to hear it. Connect with Love Your Life, Tell Your Story now on Facebook and Instagram. We're
1: talking about you and that essence of the boy that we've heard about and the loving of life and finding that sense of, can you repeat the word for me again?
2: Oh, the UT area. The
1: UT area, thank yeah. you. So we can all understand that and keep that in our vocabulary, that beautiful word mm. that's about flow and that you found that at such a young age.
2: Well, I didn't have a name for it then, no. I, I, but I've never lost the feeling. The I've, feeling. I've, It's been a, a continuous or a flow of that feeling through my whole life. Yeah and it doesn't make any difference to me that i've created a word for it but no. ho- hopefully it does for others
1: yeah what what i understand from you is that you knew that feeling all along you may not have had a word for that
2: that's exactly right but
1: the essence of you you had that that knowledge all along and others may have had it too but they didn't put a word to it and what you've done is put that word out there for us all to understand what that is
2: and to share it
1: and and exactly that's where i'm going with that Um, that you shared that so we now all understand that when we're walking along a beach or we're in a forest or we're at one with nature or looking at a redneck kangaroo wallaby (laughs) (laughs) yes i need to label my kangaroos and wallabies correctly that we are say it again for me we're
2: in a a state of ut area ut area Uh, and so I, I mean, it, it's close to euphoria and other u words that we use. But I chose a new word because euphoria is often associated with mind altering drugs exactly. or, a, or an unnatural state whereas i this is I, I, natural this is this is for free and you don't need to have magic mushrooms to no. to be in a state of UT area.
1: and yet it's not it's not a state of ecstasy or it's not a state of it's not a state that exercise has enhanced it so it is literally a state that nature is bringing us
2: mm. and i think we're open to it because we're products of nature we've evolved in this amazing planet called the earth and it's still as far as we know the only place in the known universe that has life on it we're trying hard to discover life forms on other planets and failed we're listening into the sounds of intelligent life from other parts of the cosmos and the universe zero so far so there has to be something really special about life on this earth and the way we've evolved and i mean i don't put humans on a pedestal but we are a species that's capable of trying to understand life itself i i don't know if other species are capable of doing that they they live life they experience Mm -hmm. it they they eat they have sex they have children they reproduce etc but humans actually spend a lot of times thinking about what is life what does it mean what does a lifespan mean Mm -hmm. and obviously philosophers of Tackled those sorts of issues for a long time, and so have theologians and and uh, and other people who think deeply about what a, what a life means, what what's a good life, and uh, we still really don't know exactly what life is, except that as Jill's father used to say, I wouldn't be dead for quids. So <laughs> it's common saying, <we>, isn't it? <laughs> we... we, we, we we know that life is a preferable state to its alternative, which is non-existence. And I think I'd be bored in death, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> that would be a permanent state of boredom. <laughs> so I think life is precious, and, and uh, that's also part of my my life force, if you like, that I mm-hmm. value life so highly uh, that I, I work for it uh, and the terms and ideas and concepts that I create... Uh, help other people who like artists and creative people to, to to share that concept so that they can further the joy of life, uh, the, the majesty of life, the wonder of it, which is the philosophical part. And I mean, it's it's just one of the things that we have, which is freely available to us that we should never take for granted. And, uh, and that's partly my work. And I'm I'm just thrilled that uh, with some of my work on the symbiocene as an idea, uh, other people, other creative people are now picking up the concept and are promoting it as the way of the future. Like uh, the Canadian author Margaret Atwood's just recently put a huge effort into the symbiocene. She's created a web page. Uh, she actually had uh, creative people put together a vision of the future, which is now. Available for free for people on on uh, YouTube or whatever the the medium is. So people with you know considerable considerably more force than uh, I guess uh, monetary power than what I have have now taken 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 the, the lead. Yeah. So these positive concepts are now being seen uh, as really valuable. Some of them can be very quickly appropriated by those that aren't necessarily highly you know sort of motivated by the good of the earth so you know i've discovered that there's uteria perfumes and there's, <laughs> there's a, there, i think there's a there's a symbiocene pen being made in india and i wrote to the people that made it and they just said look we want a pen that lasts forever surely this is part of the symbiote scene, and i couldn't disagree with them you know that <laughs> they didn't they didn't gift me one i just uh, reminded them of where their their concept came from so marketing people are alert to the fact that i create new ideas new avenues new ways of marketing new ways of thinking and uh, I was able to do a talk in Sydney last year to the Purpose Conference, which was full of entrepreneurs, you know, um, startup people and uh, people who are creating new businesses out of waste and things that were not considered to be part of the Anthropocene. You know, waste was just something you'd throw it away and hope, hope that someone buries it. So now I'm seeing young people and entrepreneurs, other creative people, really being inspired by what I've done. And as a result, you know, I I feel much happier about my contribution now because it's a positive contribution to a positive vision of the future than I did about solastalgia and my critique of what was going wrong. Because
1: this is not telling people what not to do, this is telling people what to do or giving them insight into how to do things better.
2: Yeah, and I think that's an important role because it's very easy to critique what's going on and and so many things are going wrong that uh, young people in particular are now feeling depressed about the state of their world and and that around them so to give young people a vision of the future that's worth fighting for in a sense worth mm. working for worth being creative for is to take them out of a a state where there's no alternative really except depression you know both mm. and helplessness yeah Sort of metaphorical depression, and I I think that that's the most important thing that I'm doing now is is offering young people I call them Generation Symbiocene or Gen (laughs) Gen S. Gen S. (laughs) I'm not. It's not exclusive to young people. I'm hoping that you know uh, crusty old baby boomers are welcome. uh, Look, might
1: change the um, reputation of baby boomers. (laughs) Mm, I'm hoping
2: that, that many of them will actually move. In a direction that will give them a sense of a life well lived. Yes. Otherwise, you could die thinking, "Well, all I did was stuff the planet up and mm-hmm. and uh, le- left a mountain of of uh, of pollution and junk." There's a wonderful plastics. There's a wonderful cartoon <laughs> I saw recently of a a, a mature man, a father, uh, and a young man, his son, next to him, and he opens up the the door of his garage or, or storage shed. And it's just full of the worst crap that you could possibly imagine that ever existed on the planet. And he says to his son, you know, son, one day all this is going to be yours. And you just think, oh, my goodness, that's just so terrible that uh, the baby boomer could all they've got to, to gift is a uh, is a lock up shed full of junk, you know, plastic, plastic junk. Um, so. I think offering the symbiose is the best that this philosopher can do. I've got toys, you know, mainly tools that I use to keep Wallaby Farm in shape, but uh, I certainly don't have a, a shed full of junk. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping that as I get older, I'll have less and less material things. So by the time my term comes to uh, to enter the earth, I'll uh, I'll have virtually nothing. It's a bit like the concept of solostalgia, isn't it? That uh, there'll be no need for anything when I'm ready to go. It's just going to be ongoing, creative, and and life affirming process. And um, you know, children, particularly like uh, my my granddaughter Lyra, who's only seven, so she's the youngest in the family. Uh, her life will be able to be one full of positive uh, earth emotions of good earth feelings uh ut area will be you know the the word of the the 22nd century you know for people that make it into (laughs) into that and there'll be some born now that will make it into the
1: we will get there yeah
0: want to keep the conversation going and connect with like-minded positive people changing our world for the better be inspired by fellow changemakers and join our closed Facebook community to keep the conversation going. Search Love Your Life. Tell your story now.
1: Glenn, would you be able to tell us your words?
0: How many do you want?
1: <laughs> well, yeah. 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 I'd like a few.
2: Okay, well, the, the UT area you've, you've got, which is that, that good earth feeling, that oceanic feeling of oneness with yourself and the rest of life. There's endemophilia which is the love of the the endemic that which is close to you that that which is part of your local environment um, there's solophilia which is the the feeling that uh, you you must work with others to bring about important social and political change in ways that you you support that this idea that we we can just do stuff by ourselves without the need for other human beings is just too much we we, we can't do that. So uh, I also wanted a word that was neither left nor right in politics. So uh, solophilia is better than solidarity because solidarity is being appropriated by one side of the political uh-huh, spectrum. And, yeah. and it's just as important on the other side. And so I created a, a non-partisan concept for the politics of uh, ch- changing our relationship to the to nature or the environment. Symbiophilia is the love of living together. So, is the root word for symbiosis. And in Greek, it means uh, to live together, uh, to to cooperate uh, with others. So the original uh, origin of symbiosis, the science, is actually a social concept which means companionship or to live together. And it's a human cultural term. And so I want the human cultural equivalents to to be said and pronounced as cultural, not scientific terms. So I go back to the to the ancient Greek which is sumbios, which means to to live together, to, to be in companionship with others. And so I've got a whole lot of sum words, you know, the sum biography is uh, that we've mentioned before, the the life story that tells you what kind of value stance, emotional uh, stance you have with yeah. respect to life. That's, that's part of that story. Sumbiocracy, which is a new form of democracy. So we, democracy is all about government for people. So demos means of the people. crassy means to rule. So rule by the people for the people is the famous line of Abraham Lincoln in the American version of democracy. But it doesn't say anything about how do we live in association with non-humans. And so now in the 21st century, we've got to think of a new politics which takes into account the interests of non-humans in everything that we do. if we don't, then the sixth great extinction will continue to roll on and then there'll be the seventh, which is humans. So I think we, you know... um, the idea that democracy is going to be all that we need to improve, uh, I've tackled that one as well. So the symbio can go, it's a bit like eco, you can put it in front of virtually anything. So symbiotecture is like architecture that requires us to think about how living systems can be incorporated into how humans build their habitats. So in the past, oh, I understand, yeah. you know, we build with steel and concrete, which cause climate change but now we're using um, mushrooms, we're using mycelium from fungi, we're using cellulose uh, which is being manufactured through uh, algae not cutting down forests and so we have to start thinking about uh, whole new ways of reconnecting human life with the rest of life. That's what we've, uh, we've been very good in the last 200 years of disconnecting ourselves from the rest of life. So the symbiocene is uh, Mm -hmm. saying, well, we're not going to go back to the cave and start hunting and gathering again. If 8 billion people tried to do that, it would be a very sad ending. And so what we need to do is use our intelligence. We're, We're called Homo sapiens, which means a wise ape, but we've been really dumb up till now. We need to use our intelligence to reconnect ourselves to the rest of life in ways that we've never dreamt of before. And so my My work as a thinker is to encourage more and more of that look animism the the sort of that spiritual connection to life can happen in all sorts of ways. It doesn't have to be appro- we don't have to be appropriating indigenous culture, we don't have to use past religion. we can actually have life coming back into our social order as humans in all sorts of ways that. Require a colossal wave of creative thinking. That's part of what I think the symbiocene is. It's the opportunity to actually use our intelligence in a way that reflects our humanity. Burning things and exploding things has been the story of the Anthropocene, and I consider that to be uh, now an expression of our our idiocy, our stupidity, our failure to actually think uh, about our relationship to the rest of life. So that's, that's what I'm doing now and I'm, I'm hopefully, as I age and while I'm still capable, I'll do all that I can to support this pro-life view of mm. what humans are doing mm. on this so earth. Those,
1: those words give a whole language to say, when I mean, I'm listening to those and we are hearing those words, I'm sure that we can all attach those words to where we all work, where we all play, where we all speak. And as I was listening, I'm thinking, as I'm sure we all were, where those words apply in our lives.
2: Well, I think they apply everywhere. I talk mm-hmm. now about the replacement economy, which is that every single artifact that is toxic, poisonous, cancerous, uh, can't be recycled, uh, mm. that has to be replaced by its symbiocene alternative, mm. something which is inherently benign inherently recyclable Uh, when you're finished with it you can put it in the compost bin or eat it you know it's so benign that it's actually just a continuous part of a life process where what we're doing now is I mean I'm guilty of it as much as anyone plastics things that are convenient we just use them without thinking about what happens next and so um, wouldn't it be great if we could just scrunchle up our cellulose-based um, bottle mm. uh, and put it in the compost bin and then within uh, the goodness of time, it could be a very short period of time, so we, en- we end up with something beautiful.
1: So as we get curious about these words and start putting these words into our language, we start changing our behaviour and we start to get curious about how that can happen.
2: Exactly. That's why I've called the the book, the subtitle is New Words for a New World doesn't necessarily mean that the new world that we're in right now is a good one. It means that it's not the same as the world of 200 years ago. We have to think differently about it. And I also think the new words that I create open up possibilities of new creative lines of thought. Mm. But not just thought, of design, of Mm. manufacturing, of building. Of painting, of sculpture, of music—it's mm. whatever you happen. It's how to we be, get, yeah. how we
1: get creative in that, because these words exist
2: exactly. And so, I mean, the term "the symbiosine's only been around since two thousand and eleven, and I think it's actually making some amazing progress already. So I'm feeling quite optimistic about the future, despite the fact that you know we've got the. The war in Europe we've got greenhouse gases are still rising you know there's plenty of opportunity to be despondent about the state of the mm. world but at the same time I don't think anybody wants to live in the Anthropocene any longer I think they want mm. out
1: there's a change and
2: yeah so I think the zeitgeist as they call it in in German is is shifting and I want to be someone who's helping shift it as quickly mm. as possible and a lot of people are doing it at very practical levels with you know inventions and new new processes and uh, i take my hat off to them they're doing uh, amazing work my job i think as a as a thinker is to try and encourage all hu- humans and that you don't have to be uh, you know a Rhodes scholar or anything to to think about this difference between the symbiosine and the anthropocene one pulls things apart and destroys the other one puts things together and creates and it's a it's almost like a, a greek drama or a poem where these opposing forces have been with us forever but we can't allow the destructive to to rule any longer it's just now global in scale and it's too powerful so yes the the zeitgeist will shift um, i just want us to be part of that shift not mm. not to be sort of spectators of you know they call it Gaia if if you want to personify the earth if Gaia self-regulates in a way that uh, is not suitable for humans then there'll be life on earth they just won't be human life Mm. and so I I want humans to be uh, at the party I want the lights on and you
1: want them speaking
2: I want (laughs) I I want the laughter I want to hear I want to hear children having fun
1: yeah
2: Uh, and that's that's my motivation I think that fits very nicely with the theme of your your podcast is yeah. is this loving your life affirmation of life yes. loving of life and having a a life of love in yes. its fullest sense
1: and i can see why you love your life and the contributions that you've made in your life up until now and i have no doubt that you'll continue to love your life and continue to contribute I'd like to thank you for coming into loving your life and telling your four stories. It's been an absolute pleasure, Glenn, oh, well. and such a privilege. And I and I really thank you, and I think we all do, because their stories are beautiful. Right. I hope you've enjoyed your experience,
2: of course. And you know, you you you're you're my neighbour and friend as well. So you're part of the loving of the life, and uh, it's just been fantastic that you've given me the opportunity to say a few words about what this crazy philosopher's on about.
1: Well, it's been a privilege. It's an absolute privilege to know you and be your neighbour and friend. And so thank you very much.
0: My pleasure. This is only part of our story. To hear the rest, leap forward to the next podcast and give us five stars wherever you listen. Love Your Life, Tell Your Story by Kathleen Marriott.